Jose, I say, Jose, it's time to wake up. Oh, buenos dias, senorita. My siestas are getting shorter and shorter. Hey, Michael, mi amigo, pay attention, it's Joe time. So it is. Pierre, you rascal, you. Let's put on the show. Mon ami, I am always ready, as you say, to put on the show. Oh, pardon, madame. That whistle was for my good friend, Fritz. Ach, to lieber, I almost fell out of my upper perch. We better start the show rolling. Wait, wait. We forgot to wake up the glee club. <laughs> ole, ole, it's showtime. To our new passengers, aloha and welcome. As you board, please move across your car to make room for everyone, and kindly offer available seating to those needing special assistance. The show will begin momentarily. Thank you. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, mantenganse alejado del David. Welcome to Dave's Disney View Podcast, provided on our own version of the information highway in the sky. For those of you standing, please hold on to the handrails throughout our journey and stay clear of the doors. For the comfort of others, no smoking please. Thank you. Dave's Disney View is a look at the Walt Disney World Resort and sometimes beyond, as seen through the eyes of Dave, a frequent visitor, a one-time cast member, and an engineer who simply enjoys the magic and wonder of it all. Now, please keep your party together and put on your virtual mouse ears. And by all means, enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney News. So this news report is for the early part of August 2011. We start off with talking about some construction at Walt Disney World, and in particular, looking at Pleasure Island. As you know, Pleasure Island, the nightclubs that were there, closed about three years ago. And they've shuttered most of them. Some of them have been torn down. A few have been replaced. And over the years, Disney has talked about replacing the area with something called Hyperion Wharf. I'm going to take you through what's going on with Hyperion Wharf in just a minute. But before I get to that, I wanted to kind of lay out what happened with Pleasure Island just a little bit more. There's been a lot of speculation and rumors about why Pleasure Island closed and what happened to it. And I think it's a combination of a lot of different things, but two primarily. One is that Disney was running nightclubs. And nightclubs can be an expensive proposition. You're bringing in live acts. You're bringing in performers. You've got a lot of people you have to pay to be able to run the entire venue. Plus, of course, you're serving alcohol, which brings its own challenges. Uh, So I think there's always a problem with that. And Disney was always fighting against the fact that this was the only adult-themed area that they had. Everything else is for families. With a few little exceptions, everything about Disney is about families. And here was an area where they were looking at adults only. And it's a little bit of a non-sequitur for Disney. It's a little different. It's not something that they usually do. So I think that kind of didn't fit within the realm of where they were going. There was also a lot of competition going on. You had several places that opened up that offered adult-themed areas similar to this, but were very different and had kind of set themselves up differently and weren't Disney. So people would go off property to visit these areas, some in downtown Orlando, some around International Drive, different places like that where people would go and have that experience. So I think Disney kind of decided that it really wasn't in their best interest to keep it up for both of those reasons. So instead, they decided to create this Hyperion Wharf. Now, Hyperion Wharf was supposed to be a 
nighttime shopping and dining district that's modeled after an old wharf area. But as you'll hear from this article from the Orlando Sentinel and Jason Garcia, there's a little more to it. Walt Disney World's slow-moving makeover of Pleasure Island has stalled again. The giant resort disclosed this week the construction of Hyperion Wharf, a dockside-themed shopping and dining area that was to replace Pleasure Island at its long-shuttered nightclubs, has been delayed indefinitely as the company reevaluates its plans for the site. The move comes barely a half year after Disney unveiled the Hyperion Wharf. The resort recently demolished some of the Pleasure Island's clubs, all of which have been closed since 2008. During the course of the site work, we identified opportunities to further refine our master plan and are pausing to evaluate them, Disney wrote in its update to the company-run blog. What does this mean for you? While we're moving quickly, it will admittedly cause a delay in construction. But we're willing to bet that any delay will be worth the wait once we're able to share the details about the exciting work we've been doing. Disney didn't provide any timetable for the new project. It had previously said an amphitheater-style park would be ready for, uh, by summer, and the entire Hyperion Wharf project would be completed by early 2013. Asked if Hyperion Wharf would still be built at some point, Disney World spokeswoman Zoraya Suarez said, We don't have anything specific to share today, but we look forward to sharing more details in the future. Though it acknowledged that Hyperion Wharf has been delayed, Disney also said Tuesday that it would make some additions elsewhere in downtown Disney's retail complex. The most notable change will be in the opening of Split's uh, 50,000-square-foot bowling alley, an entertainment venue that will include billiards, dining, and music. Disney said the construction of the Upscale Entertainment Center will begin this fall. It will replace Ride Makers, which is currently housed in the former Virgin Megastore building in the west side of downtown Disney. Ride Makers will move to a smaller location in downtown Disney's Marketplace section, which is on the other side of Pleasure Island. In addition, Disney said a fashion store dubbed Apricot Lane Boutique will open later this summer in a storefront on Pleasure Island that had previously been occupied by Harley-Davidson. The motorcycle seller recently moved into a bigger location in downtown Disney's west side. So it kind of gives you some context. Disney is always kind of changing and evolving their ideas, and they can turn something around quickly. Kind of taking that whole thought about uh, construction a little bit further, the Art of Animation Hotel had its topping off ceremony last week, which means that it's nearing the physical construction uh, ending point. Now comes the interior and finishing work. It's going to take some time to complete it. But the hotel is accepting reservations for uh, spring of 2012. Now, I'm truly amazed at the speed at which Disney can do construction and the quality of the construction they can do. You know, thinking about the conversation I had with uh, Rick Vogelsong back in uh, episode 59 when we talked about Married to the Mouse and how Disney kind of manages, manages itself. You think about the way they don't have to go through planning and zoning and they don't have to go through these uh, architectural review boards and everything. The company just makes a decision and moves forward and actually makes progress in its construction and can do something on time and usually on budget with whatever they set the budget to be. And it's pretty remarkable that they're able to do that. And I think that's a strength of having that relationship with the state of Florida and the way that their contract was written with the state, that they have that ability to do that themselves safely and uh, within a, a reasonable amount of time. So I was actually thinking about this a little bit further when I saw that Disney had produced, uh, ahead of the state of Florida producing its jo- annual jobs report or its quarterly jobs report, uh, Disney had produced its own jobs report saying that they had created thousands of jobs. And they made a point of saying it before the state of Florida released it and made a point of also saying, hey, we created those jobs, not the state of Florida. Now, the state of Florida can take credit for them, and they did, and that's great. And I think it's great for the overall landscape of Florida that more people are employed. 
But it's interesting how Disney uses that to their advantage. They can, you know, use it and say, hey, we actually created these jobs. It's important to us. It's good for the entertainment business and the, the theme park business that we're in. But it's really important because it's part of the global picture. We just want everyone to know that it's us who did it. And I find that interesting because that's back to their, that same point about them being in control and Disney really understanding what their role is in the relationship to Florida. It, there's sort of a symbiotic relationship there, as we've kind of discussed in the past, and it's really kind of interesting how they, they realize that and appreciate it and made a point of saying, hey, it was us and not the rest of the state of Florida. So... Interestingly, this uh, new Art of Animation Resort, kind of returning to that thought, will have 1,120 suites designed after Finding Nemo, Cars, and The Lion King, and 864 rooms inspired by The Little Mermaid. You'll feel like you're staying in the middle of a Disney story with all of your favorite characters. Just outside your colorful accommodations, you'll find imaginative amenities, three sparkling swimming pools, and four playful courtyards, one for each film, to complete your resort experience. Disney's Art of Animation Resort features room types for almost every party size and preference, including the standard rooms and family suites. Spacious family suites are designed to comfortably accommodate six guests, and they would have two separate bedrooms, a master bedroom, three separate sleeping areas with living space, which includes an Innova bed. It's a generously sized dining or work table that easily transforms into a comfortable bed. Now, it sounds intriguing to me. Uh, as you know, I'm a, from a family of five, and we tend to stay off property because we need a little more space. The rooms just aren't quite big enough when we look at a, uh, just a hotel room, so we wind up uh, often staying somewhere else. I'll be curious to see what these rooms actually look like and what their price point is when they do hit the market. I'm curious to kind of see how, how it uh, nets out in the, uh, in the market as far as uh, whether, where the value is. So I'm looking forward to uh, checking it out later uh, when they do finally open it. Now, coming in September to early October is uh, the Food and Wine Festival at Epcot. And I wanted to make sure that I brought your attention to it. If you're going to be traveling down to Epcot at any point during the uh, month of October uh, and into early November, you're going to want to check this out. It's really a pretty fun thing to do. You can walk around and stroll and try, try and sample different foods and uh, really enjoy it. You can take a private event or you can just go with the masses and enjoy the foods. It's a, it's a fun way to kind of experience the culture and food from different countries with some uh, top-notch chefs. In addition, uh, throughout the weekends, they're going to have a Eat to the Beat concert series with different acts that will come in and uh, perform, and you can check them out. So included are like Taylor Dane, 38 Special, John Cicada, Sugar Ray, uh, Billy Ocean, Starship, Howard Jones, Boys to Men, and a whole lot more. So you can check out uh, who's going to be there. I'm going to put a, a link to the uh, brochure on my website at disneypodcast.net so you can go over and check out the brochure and see who's coming and when and that sort of thing so you can learn a little bit more about it. Now on to the food. Uh, there's going to be representation from Australia, Brazil, Argentina, the Caribbean, Mexico, Scandinavia, China, South Korea, South Africa, uh, a cheese station, a brewer's collection, uh, Germany, Poland, Italy, hops and barley, Singapore, Japan, New Zealand, Morocco, Portugal, a wine bar from Portugal, Belgium, France, Ireland, Canada, Greece, and a dessert and champagne area, and then a Hawaii area, and then a craft beer selection. So you can check all of those areas out. Each one will have a unique thing that's uh, representative of that country. If you like that country's food, you can go check out the sample there. If you've never had food from, that, food from that country, it's a great opportunity to try a small sample of food that sort of represents the country in some way. For example, if you go into Brazil, you can try feijoada, which is like a stew. And it's uh, really pretty tasty, and you might enjoy it, and you can check it out. Uh, if you go to Greece, you can try a Greek salad or a, uh, some grilled Greek food. 
You can get shrimp cakes in Singapore or go and get lettuce wraps in South Korea or even try a seared filet of beef in South Africa. A lot of different variety of foods to try, and they're all uh, moderately priced as appetizer-sized portions. And you can buy a little card that's on a wristband that you can go around, and uh, that way you can kind of charge up at each one of these stations. It'll just deduct money from that card each time you go in there, and you don't have to worry about fumbling for cash while you're there, and you know how much money you've spent. If you put $30 on the card, when you get to the end of $30, you've spent all your money. So you can kind of manage your uh, your finances that way. It's a fun way to do it, and if you go with a couple of friends, every, you can sample a couple of different things and share among yourselves, and everybody can try a little bit of something. It's a fun way to kind of enjoy yourself and sample some different foods and have a little fun around Epcot's World Showcase uh, Lagoon. So I highly recommend it. I haven't been there in years, uh, as I said last time we did this, but uh, I really did enjoy it, and I really do want to go back. I just haven't had the opportunity to go back any time recently. Now, here was another article uh, kind of expanding Disney's reach beyond just theme parks. You know, how can Disney help other companies and other uh, type of industries to get better? So here's another article from the Orlando Sentinel by Andrew Doman. Uh, and this one goes, Snow White is a nurse and the Magic Kingdom is hospital might sound like a child's wish. But the idea is part of a real-life New Walt Disney Company program designed to teach healthcare professionals how to make patients satisfied with a trip to the hospital or the doctor's office as they are with a trip to Disney theme park. For about $3,500 each, a healthcare worker can spend three and a half days at the Disney Institute learning how to pay closer attention to the patient experience. Oftentimes in healthcare, the patient is in a bed is almost secondary. Everyone comes in looking at their task instead of looking at the patient, said Patrick Jordan, a Disney Institute consultant and former healthcare executive. Looking at the various parts of your organization from that perspective, uh, from that perspective of your guests, becomes very important. The Disney program goes beyond making patients feel better about their healthcare experiences. It also may serve, may save hospitals money. Starting in October 2012, the federal government will begin to tie in billions of dollars to the patients' experiences at hospitals. Hospitals need to mobilize all of the nice that they can muster and all of their employees to ensure that the total experience of the patient satisfies the patient's expectations, said Aaron Lieberman, a professor of health, uh, health services administration at the University of Central Florida. If any employee happens to say something out of sorts and creates a bit of ill will with the patient, they may uh, damn the entire hospital, Lieberman says. The idea for Disney's Building a Culture culture of Healthcare Excellence program, which launched a couple of weeks ago, grew out of the theme park giant's collaboration with individual hospitals across the nation. In Orlando, Florida Hospital worked with Disney to improve patient experience before the opening of the Children's Pavilion in March. As part of the plan, the hospital introduced new uniforms and simplified name tags, banned cell phones in some patient areas, and instructed staff to greet patients with a smile and kneel down to talk to children at their eye level. We've realized that taking care of people means more than just putting people in a splint or a cast or uh, to setting the broken bone, said Tim Burrell, chief operations officer at Florida Hospital for Children. Even though patients often arrive at a hospital in fear, paying attention to controllable things like stress can improve how they feel about their hospital visit, Burrell said. To Disney, the new federal standards mark a shift in thinking toward improving the patient experience, said Stacey Thompson, public relations manager at Disney. The result was an expanded program for healthcare professionals that focused on increasing patient referrals to facilities such as family medicine clinics and skilled nursing homes. By exceeding expectations, doctors can attract new clients through referrals from satisfied patients, said Dr. Christopher Smith, who runs a three-year-old family medicine practice in South Carolina and participated in the Disney program. Now, here's where the patient becomes the guest. 
For an insider's view to improving customer service, Jordan took about 30 healthcare pro- providers on a tour of Main Street in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. He drew their attention to details that he said improved how guests experienced the park. He explained that most guests are from North America and naturally move to the right after entering the turnstiles at the park's entrance. So that's where the lockers, strollers, and wheelchair uh, and other amenities are, were placed. Later, he pointed out a lack of directional signs in the park because Disney wants visitors to ask cast members questions, adding a personal touch that improves the guest visit. Some changes Disney recommends sound like more like semantics but signify a cultural shift. For example, Disney employees are cast members, uniforms are costumes, and customers are guests. A guest is someone who's invited, said Jeff Wilford, a Disney Institute instructor. A customer uh, is someone who complains. Such a detail may seem goofy, but Disney representatives say these nuances matter to the patient or to the guest. The distinction was not lost on Smith from South Carolina. At his office, the receptionist has become a greeter. Smith also uses Disney's onstage and offstage approach to separate his office into public and private spaces. In patient areas, staff members present a calculated onstage image, while more private break rooms allow the staff to go offstage, uh, offstage to relax, vent, or do other things they don't want the patient to see. The concept reminds staff that guests are watching how they behave when they're on stage, Jordan said. Just like other industries, the doctors and their staffs have to learn that every service matters, she said. You wouldn't send a friend of yours to a restaurant you knew had good food, but the service was poor. And I think that's pretty cool. And it kind of gives you the perspective about how Disney really looks at the guest picture and kind of expands their view, their worldview, uh, to other areas and kind of Expanding on that theme, you may remember that last year I talked to you about there was a uh, suit involving a woman who said she was essentially groped by Donald Duck. And she filed suit, and uh, Disney was vigorously defending itself, as they often do in these cases. And the court, the court was going to let this go to trial. And there was a lot of depositions going on and a lot of uh, legal maneuvering happening. But it looked like Disney was going to have to stand trial and stand up there and actually explain some of their behind-the-scenes magic to talk about what happens uh, with the cast members, how they're trained, to talk about the costumes and to show the costumes in some way and have somebody demonstrate maybe in a costume. And that's not Disney's way. Disney does not like to um, share what's behind the scenes. You know, you, you see a great show when you go to Walt Disney World or you go to Disneyland or any Disney property. You don't see what's behind the scenes. That, that stuff is private. That's part of Disney's um, magic. And if you think about what they were doing in this case, they might have had to open that up and put on a bad show and actually, you know, make it look like they have a little public relations issue or maybe that they need to um, kind of change their ship a little bit or maybe take away just a little bit of that magic. So Disney decided that they would settle out of court with this woman. Now, they were pretty sure they were going to win the case, but uh, they decided to settle out of court and make everyone happy and not air any of their laundry uh, so that no one saw what's behind the scenes and the magic is still kept. Disney has been known to do this at times. When there's enough evidence to support the possibility that they may lose, they will settle out of of court rather than uh, letting letting anyone in to see how the the behind-the-scenes workings go. They're still subject to the same laws that we are in this country, so they wanted to make sure that they uh, controlled the environment. It's a very carefully controlled environment, and they wanted to make sure that, the, um, that no one really saw anything that would really throw them off. So that's why they went ahead and settled out of court. And I find that interesting, and I'm glad they did. I'm glad they were able to make everyone relatively happy in terms of the way this outcome came out. You know, Disney winds up keeping their, their magic, and hopefully the woman went away and she was satisfied with the, uh, the outcome of the, uh, the case. Now, 
Next topic, the Walt Disney World Moms panel will be accepting applications for 2012 panelists after 9 a.m. on September 12th, and it will run until September 16th. They'll be looking for Walt Disney World Moms panelists, Disney Disney Cruise Line panelists, Disneyland panelists, Adventures by Disney panelists, Run Disney panelists, and Disney Vacation Club panelists. Participants must be 18 years or older. You can find more information on the uh, Disney World website. Uh, I'm going to post a link on my blog as well. So if you want to go out there to uh, DisneyPodcast.net, you can see the, uh, the link and just follow it to, uh, to go and sign up. Now, of course, I'm going to take another try at uh, being a Disney mom. Uh, I think I've done a nice job of kind of supplying information to you guys as a Disney dad of sorts to answer questions that you have, and hopefully I can continue to do that. But I thought I'd try another time to, uh, to be a Disney mom and see how that works out. So uh, I look forward to, uh, to signing up again and see where that goes. Now, we hear that Tinkerbell and her fairy friends will have a new meet-and-greet area, uh, named, appropri- appropriately enough, Tinkerbell's Nook, after the movie location. If you've ever seen Tinker- the Tinkerbell movies, she lives in Tinker's Nook. And it will be located across the street from Sw- the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse uh, in the Adventureland Veranda. Now, I think this is a temporary location that's pending the conclusion of the uh, Fantasyland expansion. But in the meantime, you can go and meet Tinkerbell there. For a short time, she was not in the Magic Kingdom. I guess for the last six months or so, she hasn't been in the Magic Kingdom. But she will be returning. Uh, so you can go and check her out over at the uh, Adventureland veranda. Or Tinkerbell's Nook. Now, speaking of the Fantasyland expansion, there are some new photos that are out there. People have taken pictures from around the walls. And uh, there's a couple of aerial photos where you can look down into the area. The construction looks like it's coming along quite nicely. What you can see, it looks like, you know, even though stuff isn't completed yet, it fits in thematically. They've done a nice job of kind of grading things out. So it looks like it's in the appropriate places, and it almost looks like it's been there for a while. I'll be curious to see what it looks like when it's finished, but it kind of has that feel of something that's been there for a while. Now, one thing I wanted to point out to you, Dumbo, the Dumbo attraction, is going to have two uh, Dumbo rides. So it's going to be two separate rides. You go into a queue area and you go to one side or the other to, uh, to ride on the Dumbo attraction. They built a, a new blue circus tent for one of them. The other one is going to be in the red circus tent, the red and white circus tent, that's been in uh, the area that was Mickey's Toontown uh, since the beginning. If you think about that red and white circus tent, that was built there. That's where the stage show went on for uh, Mickey's Birthday Land. So you had Mickey's Birthday Show inside that red and white tent. It was later repurposed to be the uh, stage show for all of Mickey's Starland shows. And then uh, ultimately it became the uh, gift shop that was there in the... uh, area that was uh, Toontown. So as you think about that piece of real estate there with that circus tent on it, it's always been the same. It was the judge's tent. It was several other things. You could go inside the tent and see it. And I think it's kind of neat that they've left it there and left it intact. And it has pays a little homage to the original uh, intent of Mickey's Birthday Land. It's sort of a subtle in-joke. So when you see it there and you go on Dumbo's attraction, you can still be inside of something that was part of uh, Mickey's Birthday Land. And I, I love those subtleties that, uh, that Disney does. Sometimes you'll see things that kind of relate back to something that was there uh, previously. For example, in the uh, Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, there's a picture that kind of hidden somewhere of uh, Mr. Toad handing off the deed to that property to Owl. And uh, I think that's just kind of a clever little touch reminding us that Mr. Toad's Wild Ride used to be there. And when they had the uh, Pooh's Thoughtful Play Spot that was over where the uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea ride used to be, uh, they had, if you went inside the treehouse, there was a little uh, Nautilus ship from the uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the the actual ship that was there. They had one of those kind of carved into uh, into the wood there. 
And so that was kind of neat. It was a nice little homage to it. Uh, then they moved that, uh, that treehouse over across the, across the way to queue for the poo ride. So it's there now. And you can still look at the, uh, the Nautilus thing in there. I'll, wonder, I'll be curious to see if they do any other nods to the Nautilus somewhere else um, in the area that's become the Fantasyland expansion, since that's really where 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea used to be. You may be aware that uh, ESPN used to do a show that was ESPN The Weekend. They would uh, bring down most of their hosts for sort of a vacation at the Walt Disney World Resort, and they would do a lot of stand-up shows uh, live in the uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios. So you'd have uh, guests doing some parts of Sports Center. You'd have uh, um, some of the celebrities and sports figures coming in to do interviews. You'd have uh, crowd shots of people kind of watching these different things going on. And over the years, it grew from something small to something actually pretty big. A lot of people would come by because you'd have a lot of athletes coming in to do interviews and talk to uh, talk to some of the hosts along the way. And it was a you know three-day weekend they do, and they do a lot of shows from there over that course of that weekend. It grew and grew and grew, and it was really pretty big this year. Uh, so they had a lot of people there watching the show. And uh, Disney has decided, as the owner of ESPN, that they're going to cease doing the show there. So they will no longer have ESPN the weekend. So if you're planning on doing it next year, you're going to have to plan to do something else. Instead, I think what they're going to do, and this is just my opinion, uh, I think they're going to find ways to integrate ESPN a little differently in some of the different activities. They'll probably bring ESPN at various times for very short things instead of bringing them in for a whole weekend and having a lot of athletes coming there. Um, I think the crowds just got so big and it was bringing in more people to the... uh, uh, to the Disney's Hollywood Studios. And now that the Hollywood Studios is starting to expand and you've got like Toy Story Midway Mania and other things there that are more draws to people, crowd levels are getting bigger, even though some of the people weren't actually riding on the attractions. So I look for Disney to find another way to uh, encourage people to come down and be a part of ESPN. I just think that that's kind of run its course and they needed to move on from that anyway. So that would be my take on it. Uh, so, you know, like I said, if you were planning on coming, you'll have to find something else to do this year. Now, speaking of TV, I don't know if you've ever seen Home and Garden Television's HDTV, uh, their show, My Yard Goes to Disney. It's a pretty cute little show, and i got to give a shout-out to my friend Kurt because he pointed me to this one. Uh, it's a clever little show where they take someone's backyard and they reimagine it as a Disney sort of paradise. Uh, it's got very Disney-oriented theme things to it. They bring in an Imagineer and several landscape artists to kind of think through what they could put there in the space that they've got to make it sort of Disney-oriented based on what the family likes about Disney. So it's very very cute and clever. It's a nice-sized backyard usually, and they do a lot of really neat things. You know, They'll put things there that really give you the imagery of Disney and really give you that feel of it. And it's kind of a fun show. You could almost view it as a guilty pleasure because you're, you're watching them put together someone else's backyard. But the fun and the magic is, is kind of there, and it's just a fun show to watch. And um, I really encourage you to watch it. If you've never seen it, just check it out one time. It's really pretty cool. It's, it's a nice little show. But in any event, they're going to be casting, as they say, the second season uh, coming up here. So if you're interested in having your yard uh, become a Disney-themed yard in the My Yard Goes to Disney show, you can head over to JTV, that's J-A-Y-T-V dot net, and learn more and uh, sign up if you're interested in having your yard uh, become be considered to be a uh, Disney yard. So uh, head, over to the, head over to the site. I'm going to put a link to the site on my website as well, so DisneyPodcast.net. You can check it out. Click link and go over and check and see what it is. Now, finally today, I wanted to talk about the Enchanted Tiki Room. It's going to be reopening again in just a few days on August 15th, uh, and it will be back to being the Enchanted Tiki Room. No more under new management, no more Yago, no more Zazu, back to what it originally was. 
As I've said in the past many, many times, I love the show. It just has a special place in my heart. And I'm really glad to see them kind of bringing it back to what it was before. So I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Don't know when I'm going to have my first opportunity to see it. I'm thinking it might be in October when I go up to the parks. Not sure. But uh, I really want to see it again because I really do enjoy that show. Now, the one thing I've heard is that they brought it back to its original magic. They've remastered the uh, soundtrack. They've done some things and added some new audio animatronic figures to kind of replace some of the old antiquated audio animatronics that they had in there previously and brought in some new features and parts to make it just a little more interactive with the guests. I don't know what that means exactly, but I guess we'll see when they get it going. Well, that is my show for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have anything you'd like to comment on, please feel free to head over to my site, comment directly, or send me an email to davesdisneyview at gmail.com. I'm always happy to interact with people. Love hearing from you. If you like the show, uh, if you want to hear something different in the show, please just let me know. I'm, you know, I'm always curious. I want to make this you know, about a Disney community. I want to make this fun. You know, I, I hope you enjoy listening to it because I have a little passion for Disney and I hope you have the passion for Disney too. As I continue to develop up concepts for the show, you know, I'm always thinking up new ideas. I've probably got a million ideas in my head of shows that I want to do and just not enough time to get them all done and get them all recorded. But I'm hoping to get more out there for you and uh, get some more uh, good shows together, maybe some good interviews and uh, continue to be the Disney dad and answer questions and uh, bring you the news as, as it comes in. But that is it for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I am out. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. See ya. From all of us, thanks for taking a listen to the podcast today. If you're standing, please hold on to the handrails and stay clear of the doors until the show stops completely and the doors open. Ladies and gentlemen, please collect your personal belongings, watch your head and step, and take small children by the hand. As this concludes our journey, we hope that you enjoyed the show and that you drive home safely. Our thanks go to Doug at geekacres.net for his contributions to the show. And also to Craig for the original music you hear on the show. You can find Craig's music over at ReverbNation.com slash sound A. If you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the show, please feel free to contact Dave at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Show notes and links to other great content on the web can be found at disneypodcast.net. Now, I will raise the safety bar, and a podcaster will follow you home! Ha 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 ha!